the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. It is draft week. We are so close to the NFL draft. As us three sit in front of these microphones, we are a little over 24 hours away from the first pick being made in the 2021 NFL draft. Very exciting times. These next few episodes of the Steelers Standard are going to be focused all on the NFL draft for the most part. For the most part. There's some NFL storylines I think we have to get into as well. But for the most part, it's all draft coming at you for the next few episodes on the Steelers Standard. And on this first episode, I thought we'd start pretty generic and just let's go through each position group that there is, give some maybe top fives that we think, and maybe a couple sleepers uh, at that position. Not necessarily position groups that the Steelers will be interested in always. Of course, we will cover those as well. But all offensive groups, all defensive groups, let's get after it. Start with the big ones. Start with quarterback, the the sexiest position of really any draft, but especially this one. I mean, we did a mock draft on a previous episode. Kellen, you said you had four quarterbacks going yep. one, two, three, four. I mean, that's excitement right there in the NFL draft. Uh, we all know that the number one prospect, the number one quarterback, the number one human being in the world in 2021 is really Trevor Lawrence. There's just no question that he'll go off the board first. And Zach Wilson has established himself as that number two as far as the quarterback position is concerned. But after that, it's a mixed bag, really. I mean, you could have any number of those yeah. next three guys at any spot, three through five. Right. And I mean, you know, if you had to rank them, like I still think that Justin Fields is a better, the better pure quarterback than, than Zach Wilson, but um, <clears throat> the Jets don't believe so. I mean, everybody seems to think it's kind of the consensus. It's kind of a lock at this point that Zach Wilson is going to be the number two pick. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Clemson, it's Wilson. And then, like you said, you could have a variety of, you know, Fields, Lance, Jones, um, any one of those in three any in any order, right. Of the next, you know, of the, uh, the next, you know, three quarterbacks taken in the draft, it could be any one of those three. Um, <clears throat> you know, I personally think that the Trey Lance is going to get drafted by the Niners, but, I do too. um, you know, again, I think it's all preference bait. Like it's, you know, this is why the draft is so fun. So let me say this. I think Trey Lance is going to the Niners, but ranking them one through five, I think I'd still put fields at number three. Me Definitely. Too. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. But yeah, but it's like Kellen said, it's preference. And, you know, some GMs and scouts have an eye for a certain player that yeah. others don't. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I mean, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I said that I think Fields is probably the better quarterback than Wilson, but I think the thing that's so intriguing about Zach Wilson to a lot of NFL GMs and, and more importantly um, to the Jets GM and the Jets front office is that he has a chance to be an absolute boom. You know what I mean? Like he, yes, he, there's a potential for anybody in this draft to bust, but I think Wilson might have the biggest boom upside maybe other than Trey Lance, but again, that's a different story too. Even more so than... Uh... Trevor Lawrence? Well, I, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the outlier. I okay. mean, he's he's the consensus number one. There's a reason for that. But I'm saying with Wilson, you know, a couple years from now, you could be looking at Zach Wilson. A lot of GMs could be saying, man, how didn't we see that with that guy? And I think the same could be said for Lance. Hell, I think the same could be said for Justin Fields if he ends up falling with, with some people. Um, I saw a mock, I can't remember who it was, has him going 31 to the Buccaneers, mm. Justin, Justin Fields, Yikes. which is just crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's all about preference. It's all about what each team is looking for at this, at this stage in the game. But again, it, it makes it interesting when, you know, when the third, the third best quarterback, the fourth best quarterback and the fifth best quarterback, you don't know who's going where all in, yeah, in that first round. I, 
I had an hour mark draft that we did a couple of episodes ago. I had it, uh, Mac Jones going three. Niners, you guys yeah. disagreed. It just seemed to be the narrative that I was hearing from all the other experts. Uh, I don't know why they had Mac Jones there, and I said, you know, some picks I made were conservative, some I made that I thought were my own opinion of a best fit, but I went conservative there. I It seems that everyone is going Mac Jones at three. I don't know why that's happening, but because, honestly, outside of Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones is the only one who I think isn't first-round caliber. Speaking of ones that aren't really first-round caliber, we've established that those are the Far and away top five. Is there a sleeper out there in this draft class at quarterback? Is there a Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson in the fourth round that you're going to snag up? Uh, One guy that I would circle is Kyle Trask out of Florida. Mm. And the only reason I really say that, and this might be terrible logic on my part, but at the beginning of the college football season, Trask was kind of on that fringe of a first-round pick. And Mm. he didn't do great last year at Florida, but... It's not like he did terrible either, and right. I know he had a ton of interceptions in their bowl game against Oklahoma. But <laughs> that didn't help. That no. didn't help him at all, but that's something that you can correct in the NFL, hopefully. And yeah. You know, maybe he was just a little bit too wild, a little too gunslinger back in that game in Florida, and the NFL will kind of, you know, water down the offense, make it a little simpler for him. But, you know, Kyle Trask had that pedigree at the beginning of the year, really fell a lot down draft boards. Not saying that this is a guy that you reach on in the first, second, or even maybe the third round, but fourth or fifth round, take a flyer on him. Maybe he could end up being somebody in the NFL someday. I got one for you that's not Kyle Trask. Um, Davis Mills from Stanford is a really popular one. Hell, there's some people that think he might be a back-end first-round pick. I don't see that happening. But uh, there's some people that there's some speculation w- with that. Um, he was a former five-star recruit. Um, you know, he, he was hurt a lot at Stanford. Um, and he has fewer than a dozen starts. But, um, you know, he had an, an 83 overall grade, according to PFF, um, in their college football rankings. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that he is a slam dunk. But, again, he's gaining a lot of traction um, a lot of people seem to think that he's going to be drafted a lot higher than than what he's projected at. I think PFF on their big board has him at 81 overall. Mm. Um, I see him probably being higher than that, but that's the guy I think that a lot of people are, are kind of circling other than, than Trask and Kellen Mond. I got no one else. I mean, I don't know about you, Tom. I haven't really paid enough attention uh, to these other lower-tier quarterbacks, but it seems to me that the only ones – that are guaranteed are these five. It's possible. I mean, because Kellen had told us a couple of episodes ago that the over-under for quarterbacks taken in the first five round, I said it, five and a half. So I guess there are some people who are out there who believe a sixth guy could go. I just don't know who that guy would be. At the running back position, we know the big three because the Steelers are heavily involved as far as the running back position is concerned. Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams are the top dogs in this draft class. Those are three guys that the Steelers will certainly have targeted with their first-round pick or potentially a second-round pick if they trade out of the first round to the beginning of the second round. After those three, though, you know, a lot of people say there's a big drop-off. The next-rated uh, running back, the number four rated running back is actually Javante Williams backup at North Carolina yeah. and Michael Carter. Um, one guy that I would put in my top five that's outside of it as far as, you know, pro football networks prospect rankings are concerned is Ohio State's Trey Sermon. I like Ohio State running backs. I think that they translate well to the NFL. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be a starter every down back, but I think he's going to have a lot of success in the NFL. I think I would take the last guy to do is done a pretty pretty damn, damn good, good job. job yeah. I would not saying he's going to end up like that. 
But I think he could be, you know, maybe a spellback, someone you take at the end of the second round, early third round that could really pay dividends as far as if you pair him with another good, solid running back. Um, yeah, I, I like Sermon over the Gainwell guy from Memphis. Um, big thing with Sermon, he broke his collarbone, suffered a collarbone injury in the national championship game. So that might have him slide a little bit yeah. down draft boards. But again, that might be, you know, a case of teams just getting a little bit too cold feet for someone coming off of an injury, kind of not to the same talent level, but reminds me of when Willis McGahee broke his shoulder in the mm. national championship game and he slipped a little bit in the draft mm. because there was concerns. Well, he ended up being a very, very good NFL back. Not saying Sermon will be, but I'm saying maybe his value drops just slightly because of that injury, giving some teams reserves as far as picking him. Yeah, I hear you there. I mean, the one thing I think about about Trey Sermon, he's kind of a a throwback type type running back, right? Like he's a ground and pound. Yeah, he's he, not really. He can't turn the corner well. Right. He's not really spectacular, um, but he he definitely can start. You know, he's not going to like transform a run game. He's not going to you know all of a sudden make a running game over the top and make them the best running back group in the league. But he's got a a different style. He's got that ground and pound that that um, you know straightforward type style, which can assimilate well to a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of running groups, but I agree with you, Tom. I think he could be a nice, uh, you know, diamond in the rough, maybe second, third round. Um, another guy that, you know, I mean, you mentioned that Kenneth Gainwell kid from Memphis. I like him a lot too. Um, you know, not for the Steelers sake, but you know, for a late running back, um, and also Khalil Herbert from VT. Um, I mean, he's not, uh, you know, he's not a spectacular running back, but you know, I think, um, you know, when you're a top five running back in a class, even though this one isn't all that deep, um, I guess, you know, Khalil Herbert could be somebody that you go after too. I personally like Michael Carter. I think, you know. Yeah, he's in my top five too. For, for all the reasons that people are high on Javante Williams, I think people should also be high on Michael Carter. The guy was a second string running back to Javante Williams and still had monster numbers. They, they ran for over 500 yards combined against Miami last year. I mean, this is a, this is a really good duo at running back. And I think that there's no reason that people shouldn't be as high on Michael Carter. I mean, obviously, Javante Williams is the starter, so I get that. However, J- Michael Carter has shown a lot of promise. I think his style of running is is capable to translate into the NFL, and I, I, I like his prospects. I like his ceiling. I think Michael Carter isn't necessarily the first-round caliber type of running back that the other big three are. However, when Kel and I did our, our mock draft the other day or the other week, when we got the steal of the draft of Micah Parsons at 24, we went offensive lineman at, at, in the second round, and we got Michael Carter in the third. And we were pretty – I mean, obviously we were happy with Micah Parsons, but still waiting on the offensive lineman for the second round and then waiting on the, the running back in the third and getting Michael Carter, we were pretty happy with it. The wide receiver position is extremely deep. Kevin Colbert mm. mentioned that in his press conference. Um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 guys in Pro Football Network's top 100 overall prospects are wide receivers. That's almost 15% of the, the field in the top 100 being at the wide <laughs> receiver position. That's real deep. I want to start at the top. The interesting thing with Jamar Chase, he is the number one rated wide receiver right now in a lot of draft boards, a lot of mock drafts. But as Kevin Colbert said, 
the Steelers, and I'm sure they're not the only team like this, are going to put a little bit more stock in players that played in 2020 season as opposed to the players that decided to sit out due to COVID Mm -hmm. reasons. Jamar Chase was one of those players that decided to sit out due to COVID reasons. We haven't seen him play since the national championship game in 2019 when he won with Joe Burrow and LSU. Obviously, Joe Burrow's number one target that season, one of the best college football teams of all time and the best wide receiver on that team. It's just a matter of as if he stayed in shape and he kept working out in the offseason. Um, obviously, it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get back up to game speed. Uh, training camp is going to be a little bit of a, a shock to the system, I think, for Jamar Chase, just because, A, the speed is jumping up a level in general because you're Absolutely. going from college to the pros. But also, you didn't even have game speed in college for an entire year. So you can work out. You can catch on the jugs machine. You can do as many you know sprints that you want to do. You're never going to simulate actual game speed kind of play. So... It's going to be interesting to me. I think he's still going to be the first receiver taken off the board, but Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, the pair from Alabama, certainly showed out in 2020. Devontae Smith, of course, winning the Heisman Trophy. And, you know, that's going to be a little bit more fresh in people's minds, I think, as draft day approaches tomorrow. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, I think the Steelers, they're not the only team in the league that are that are operating that way. Obviously, it wouldn't surprise me if Jamar Chase is, you know, the first receiver taken. Um, I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, he's the number six overall um, prospect, according to PFF. So, I mean, that tells you something. It wouldn't surprise me if he's the first receiver taken. But again, it just depends on which, you know, if teams value him, you know, not playing last year and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle both playing. Um, You know, I think it's kind of wild, too, that um, the Heisman Trophy winner all of a sudden might not be the first uh, guy taken in his position group. I mean, you think about what um, what Devontae Smith did last year. I mean, he was unbelievable. I mean, look at the playoff run that Alabama had last year. Um, you know, one of the reasons I think Mac Jones, you know, put up the numbers that he did was, well, he was throwing to, well, Devontae Smith and Jalen and Waddle, Jaylen too. Waddle, right. um, I mean, it's, it's a damn good class. It's a really, really good class. But like you said, Tom, I, I think you can find wide receiver – you know, a great wide receiver, a starting caliber wide receiver, hell, maybe even in the third round this year, um, even the fourth round, just because it is so deep. Um, like you said, how many are in the top 100? Like 14. 14. Um, yeah, that's 14% of the top 100 are wide receivers. That's really, really good. Uh, so that gives you an indication that, hey, this is a deep class, um, and you can expect to see maybe maybe one of the best wide receiver groups ever. I mean, if it all holds up right. And not only is it a deep wide receiver class, but for the Steelers' sake, it doesn't even matter how deep the class is because with Kevin Colbert at the helm, they're going to take a late-round receiver, maybe, if they do. And it doesn't matter how highly graded the guy is. If if Kevin Colbert has his eyes on someone, you can trust that this guy has NFL potential. So, yeah, it's going to be a deep class, and... And it's possible the Steelers go after a wide receiver in the mid-round, something like three or four, maybe even five. But don't hold your breath. And if they go after one in the sixth or seventh, maybe an early fifth or a late fifth, then you should have no reason to doubt that that kid could have some starting time, some playing time for the Steelers, even though they already have four receivers on the team. Those three receivers we mentioned will definitely go in the first round. Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota most likely will be in the first round, and then there's a chance for Terrace Marshall and Kadarius Toney from LSU and Florida, respectively, to go in the first round too. So potential of up to six wide receivers being taken in that first round. Like we said, it is a deep position group. The tight end position is headlined by a monster. Kyle Pitts has the potential to be legitimately Kelsey, legitimately Kittle, 
that type of good, and he already has set those expectations for himself, <laughs> saying in interviews that he hopes to be better than those guys. He hopes to set the mold again for the tight end position. Uh, Kyle Pitts is a guy I've said on this show several times. He could be the best player in this draft in my mind. I know Trevor Lawrence is right there in everybody's mind, but I think Kyle Pitts is just an absolute freak of nature. Um, other than that, not much at the position, but I do think Pratt Fryermuth is better than some people expect. He's so big. He's 6'5", six, 6'6". Six six. He's kind of like Gronk light right now. If he can fill out some of that size with some weight, he could play like a Gronk with that kind of mismatch ability with just being way yeah. too big for a safety to cover him, but being you know quick enough to get away from from linebackers so you know I, I know it's a Kyle Pitts draft class and we're all just living in it as far as the tight ends are concerned but I, I think Fryermuth has some value as well no he really does and, and you know again I know <laughs> I know I'm, I'm biased against the Penn State guy or towards the Penn State guys I should say um, but Fryermuth is like you said Tom he's a matchup nightmare um, just because he is so big and he's athletic um, I mean the the comp I guess the small comp, I guess, to Gronk that you made there. They called him Baby Gronk at Penn State, so um, I'm not saying that he's going to be Rob Gronkowski, but, um, you know, if you if he's your second-round pick, you know, and, and PFF has him at 55, if he's your second-round pick, you, you can definitely live with that. Um, if you pair him with, with a, a good, you know, number one for a couple years, but I think that he's going to emerge as a really good tight end. I mean, you just look – um, you know, Penn State all of a sudden has given, you know, uh, Jesse James, you could say what you want about Jesse James, but um, um, Gesicki, I think he's a good comp to, to Pat, to Pat Fryermuth as well. Um, but yeah, I think those two are kind of similar players. I, I really do. I think um, there's, there's Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth that are good um, tight ends. And then there's a huge drop off after that. And, and that's unfortunate for the, you know, bringing it to the Steelers because of the fact that their tight end group is so weak. I've seen people say in Steelers mock drafts that the Steelers could pursue in a late round Tommy Tremble. I wouldn't be super against that either, but I do th- agree with both of you. I think it's Kyle Pitts, and then there's a drop-off to Pat Firemuth, and then I think there's a significant drop-off after that. But the Steelers, you shouldn't expect them to pursue either of them, especially Pitts. Pitts is probably going to be the most, other than Trevor Lawrence, the most highly sought-after player in this draft. And we could see a big shakeup at, at pick number four, specifically when the Falcons go, if pe- if teams want to move up in order to get Kyle Pitts. Kellen, I remember you had in your mock draft of he our first round. fell all the way round. to 10, I think, in mine. I, I, it's not, probably not going to happen. I don't know. I mean, things happen. You know, people fall. Look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers fell all the way to, what, 23, 24 when he was taken. And we've seen crazy falls like that, too. But... It's possible. However, I do think the tight end group, it's always, the tight end classes are never flashy, and it's just this year that we're talking about tight ends just because Kyle Pitts is there. In the offensive line room, it's really dominated by tackles. I think tackles will be the ones that get maybe the first three offensive linemen off the board will be a tackle. I think Penny Sewell's a lock to be the first one gone, and Rashawn Slater's going to be not too far behind him. And then I wouldn't be surprised if Christian Darasaw comes off the board a couple picks after those two. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker and Wyatt Davis are two of the top guards in this class. Uh, Vera Tucker is really good. We'll go in the first round, probably later in the first round, though. Someone like the Jets picking around like 23, I think, could target him. In fact, I think that's who I picked in my official uh, round one mock draft. And then, you know, the center position, Colbert said it's deep, and I agree with him. But Creed Humphrey, Quinn Minerson, Landon Dickerson seem to be the 
big three at that group. And then maybe Josh Myers starts creeping his head in there as well as maybe a third early fourth round pick. Uh, the thing with Landon Dickerson, though, is it's another one of those guys that maybe if he didn't have the injury to end his season, he's a little bit higher on mm-hmm. this draft board. And so that might be someone the Steelers circle with the second round pick. Maybe he's there and maybe you're getting a first round talent that fell because he just spent the last part of the season injured. Couldn't play. Right. I think that's something that um, you know that Colbert mentioned. And, and you know, Stan Saverin made this point yesterday. And I really didn't give much thought to it um, until just now. Like you, you re-brought it up in my head, Tom. Um, you know, Kevin Colbert never normally tips his hand, um, but bringing up the fact that this center class is deep, um, you know, kind of gives you an indication that that's their target for their second round pick. I think that's kind of what he said there. If you read between the lines a little bit, um, there's a chance, you know, that you could get you know Creed Humphrey in the second round or or hell maybe if Dickerson's still there in the second round when you pick or Minerts I'm not saying all those guys are going to be there but the hope is at, le- is at least one of them will be and I think at least one of them will be I think in a lot of our um our mocks that that one of those centers have been there um in the second round and that and that's a great place to be but I think you know bringing it to a Steeler perspective I think Kevin Colbert tipped his hand just a little bit. Again, that could be all smoke and mirrors. It was at a press conference that, yeah. you know, what, three days before the draft. It doesn't necessarily mean all that much. Um, and he was just giving the centers their due because I think, you know, it's a lot deeper than it normally is at center. I think that's fair. Normally there's only, what, one or two prospects that you could look at and say, oh, yeah, they could they could play for us. They could start for us. But this year I think it is a little bit different to, to Kevin Colbert's point that this, this group is a little bit deeper just because – you know, there's four guys that could start. Definitely, and it's just a matter of will the Steelers pursue one of those guys and, and will Colbert say, okay, we, we understand the, the, the toss-up between winning now versus a long-term investment, and it's pretty obvious if the Steelers pursue a running back in the first round, that's a win-now mentality. They go after the O-line, it's a investment type of mentality that they have a long-term plan that Kevin Colbert has in place to rebuild that offensive line. It depends on how much he prioritizes the long-term investment versus the the win now, and I don't I don't really know what's what's to come. The defensive side of the ball, as we pick things up a little bit here, as we get close to the finish line, defensive tackle position the Steelers most likely will not target. Kevin Colbert even said it's not deep at all. Uh, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them in Pro Football Network's top 100. That's but not bad. Christian Barmore is the only one that really has first round potential. Levi, oh Jesus, Onwazuriki of Washington <laughs> has potential to maybe creep into the early second round, but most likely mid second round is when he'll be taken as the second D tackle off the board. But. Yeah, Christian Barmore out of Alabama. Like I said, Steelers aren't anywhere close to needing that position group and wouldn't be involved right. in him, but I think that's a real solid pick for anybody. You know, I, I, when you look at the defensive tackle position, when you look at the edge rush, when you look at inside linebacker, if you tell me he's coming from Ohio State, Alabama, one of those football factories, Clemson, I'd be I'm happy pretty it, sure yeah. that's going to be at least an average player. There's no real chance of a bust, I think, in my mind. Yeah, I mean, who was um, the steel? Oh, they drafted the guy um, a couple years ago. Was it Bugs is from Al- or not Bugs from Alabama? One of the guys was from Alabama in like the eighth round or seventh round or something like that. Whoever it was was the I guy can't... who finally was able to kill Dan McCullers. Right, so. exactly. <laughs> um, I can't think Big of his Dan name McCullers right now finding him way on the roster for eighteen straight years. It seemed like. Yeah, I mean, but again, that kind of goes to the point of 
you know, if you get one of these guys from a football factory, Alabama, Ohio State, um, you know, somewhere like that, you're, you're probably going to get good. Yeah, you're going to get something good, even if it's a late round pick and it's a guy from Bama. I mean, he played at Alabama. There, there, there's a reason that he played at college football's biggest dynasty. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to Kellen's point with late round picks, too. Yeah. I lean towards them all the time in the later rounds right. because they were playing in the minor leagues for the NFL, the SEC all year. Right, exactly. Exactly. And also, too, it's just it's a huge sigh of relief that without the departure of Tyson Alualu, we don't have to worry about how worry weak about we don't have to worry about how weak of a class this is. I mean, this would have changed up the entire draft strategy for the Steelers yeah, had Tyson not been here. If you're not taking Barmore, you're just taking a shot in the dark, really. Right, and you're ba- you're basically wasting a pick. I mean, we could have been just as good, well off, not taking a D tackle in this draft as taking one. At the edge rush position, this is a position that is considered around the league one of the most important in football. I mean, quarterback, obviously, number one. I'd say building that offensive line is right there at number two. But then getting after the quarterback might be number three. It might even be number two in some teams' minds. So kind of a weaker class as far as the top of it is concerned, where I think an edge rusher usually goes in the top ten for most drafts. Mm-hmm. doesn't seem like that's going to be the case this year. Aziz Ajulari is the number one rated edge rusher out of Georgia. His projected uh, slot of going is 17, so towards the middle to end of the first round is when the first edge rusher is going to go. But, my God, I mean, there is, just like receivers, there's about 15 in the top 100. Uh, So once you get towards that middle of the first round, I think edge rushers are going to fly from the first to the fourth round, honestly. Uh, To the end of the first to the fourth round, I mean. Like, uh, I could see maybe not going more than five or six picks between edge rushers going after the first one's taken. It looks like here on PFF they're... Um, their rankings, it looks like there's like 13 or 14 in the top 100 edge guys. But like you said, Tom, they're all... They're not going top 10, though. Which no, is no. unusual because, you, I mean, hell, you get edge rushers going top five in a lot of drafts. Right, because right. Because they're such game changers. I mean, think of the Boses. Mm-hmm. Think of TJ Watt, yeah. you know what I mean? JJ well, Watt, TJ Watt went later, but... Right, but you get my point. I mean, it's an important position, and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of them to go around. Um, like you said, in the middle... Um, you know, mid first to late first to early second, mid second, there's going to be a lot of defensive um, edge guys. There's going to be a lot of edge guys taken. I'm just scrolling through here and there's a lot of diversity with them too. a lot of different schools. Um, you know, a couple big 10 guys, Quiddy pay and, and just, and uh, Jason Oway, who, um, you know, are probably going to be, you know, maybe mid to late first round picks, but definitely early second. Um, and that's kind of the case for a lot of the defensive ends or the, the edge defenders, excuse me. Um, like you said, it's not super top heavy, which is great because it tells you it's a really deep class. Definitely. And I, I remember doing our, our first round mocks and I, Toward the the latter end of the first, I kind of just went, kind of when you were filling out like a Scantron test in middle school, you know, you went A, answer A, 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 and you you to think, okay, this isn't right. You can't have five A's in a row. <laughs> and I went edge, 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 and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, there are so many and they're all so good, but this just looks so weird having them all go back to back to back to back, but... No team is without a need for this type of type of player, and I think I ended my draft uh, with the Buccaneers taking one. The Buccaneers taking one, yeah. So even though they don't need one, I still had them taking one because he was the best available, and and they're just so they're just so talented at their position. The linebacker position, the inside linebacker position, I think boasts the best defensive player in this draft at Micah Parsons. Mm. He's the fifteenth overall prospect. Uh, 
So again, they don't think that middle linebacker, inside linebackers, excuse me, are going to start going off the board until middle of the first round. I see Micah Parsons getting jumped into the top ten. Like I said in my mock draft, I think the Broncos take him. Uh, wouldn't it be surprised if the Panthers take him at number eight? You could always look for a replacement for Luke Keekley yeah. there. They're still trying to find that. Um, Cowboys have Van Der Esch. I don't know if they kick the tires on him there, but they might. Who knows? You can always have more than one. Uh, Giants at 11 could take him. So I, I think he goes a little bit higher than what he's projected to go at. Um, but other than that, you know, Micah Parsons, Awusu Koromoa from Notre Dame, you know, these linebackers, they're going to start getting taken in the middle of the yeah. first round. And then much like the edge rushers, you're going to see them start to go throughout the first and second rounds. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, the linebacking group is really good. I mean, in I know that, you, you know, you just said that it's not super top heavy. I think a lot of uh, positions in this draft aren't super top heavy, but the middle of it, it, you know, there's a lot in the middle there. And I think you can get some good guys late too. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you look at the inside linebacking group, you, you hit the nail on the head about Micah Parsons, but Cormora is really good too. Probably the second linebacker taken Zaven Collins. We talked about him at length um, in one of our episodes. He's super athletic, maybe someone the Steelers target. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll be there when they pick at 55, but you know, late round first or late first, early second for Zaven Collins. Same thing could be said for Jamin Davis, um, Jabril Cox from LSU too. Um, these are the type of guys that are, you know, I mean, they're not going to be superstars, but they're going to be solid NFL players. Um, you know, the, the draft stock tells you that um, if they're taking, you know, early second, that tells you, hey, this guy's probably pretty good. Probably, yeah. I, I agree with you there, Kellen. I mean, it's just another position that seems to be plentiful at, at the top of the draft, right? And you'd be a fool to kind of say, like, if, if a linebacker is a need for you and, and you don't have other areas on your team where there are significantly more uh, depth issues or starting issues, you'd be fooled to pass up on these linebackers because they're all pretty good at the top. And finally, the defensive backfield. The safety position is very thin. Uh, might not even be one gone in the first round. The only one that has a chance is TCU's Trevor Moerig, but he would be at the very end of the first round, I'd think. Corners, Patrick Sertan is rated as the highest prospect on the defensive side of the ball in this draft, number 10 overall. J.C. Horn, the number 13 overall. So those guys will go early in the first round towards the first half of the first round, and then there are corners that will be taken throughout this entire draft. Mm -hmm. uh, teams will fill out depth that way. Steelers will look to probably pick one in the third or maybe the fifth round when they pick there. Um, you know, it's the one thing that really jumps out to me as we finish up the defensive side, and we're talking corners and safeties, but it's an offensive draft. I mean, for the most part, the top nine prospects are all offensive players, and then you mm -hmm. get to Patrick and they're going to be the top nine picks and, are probably going to be offensive. And then you get yeah. to Patrick Sertan at, at number ten finally. But you know, I, I think that I said Kyle Pitts and Trevor Lawrence obviously going to make huge impacts, but I think behind them, Micah Parsons and Patrick Sertan probably make the biggest impacts as well on the defense. Yeah, side th of ball. those are probably the top two defensive players in the draft, Sertan and. and uh, and Micah Parsons, um, and I think the same could be. You know, we said that that, that um, the the wide receiver group is so deep. Um, the same can be said for the cornerback group. I'm just scrolling down here. There's a ton in the top 100 according to PFF. I mean, a ton. Um, I scrolled like three or four times, and I just got to 100. Um, so that tells you. I mean, th that's normally how it goes, though, for cornerbacks. I mean, most of these guys or most 
years, there's a lot of cornerbacks available. But I think this year, you know, you could see, you know, maybe four, hell, even maybe five if Asante Samuel Jr. slides into the first round. I don't see that happening. But, um, you know, you could see four or five cornerbacks taken in the first round. And that's eh, that doesn't happen too often. But that's an indication that, hey, this is a deep group. Um, you know, you can get some value guys, too. There's a lot in the top 100. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a really, really good corner group. Yeah, I agree. That's going to do it for this episode of Steelers Standard. On our next episode, we put on our Steelers GM caps and we do our final Steelers mock draft before the draft starts on Thursday night at 8 p.m. We got the first round Thursday, second and third round Friday, four through seven, finishing things off on Saturday afternoon into the early evening. Really exciting stuff. We'll do our Steelers mock draft next. For Jacob Recht and Kellen Gursky, I'm Tom Offerman. Thank you, as always, for listening to Steelers Standard.